Welcome to the Redemption Church Podcast. We are located in Seattle, Washington. As a church, we want to be a community of faithfully present people with God, self, and others. We hope that this encourages you to do the same wherever you are. And thanks for joining us. All right, well, good morning. Welcome to Redemption Church. Um, My name's Alex, and I'm one of the pastors here. And so today, um, if you're new or just joining us, um, just welcome. Thank you for being here. If you would, do us a favor. If you live here in Seattle uh, and would like for us to connect with you and follow up with you, we'd be happy to do so. If you'd go to our website, redemptionseattle.com, there's a connect form you can fill out there, and we'd be happy to follow up with you. Uh, in this time. If you're not in the Seattle area and you're tuning in from another city or another state, thanks for stopping by. Um, our, our hope for you would be that you could connect to a local church in your community and grow as a disciple of Jesus there. And so if you're struggling to find a church uh, in your city, in your community, we'd be just honored to help in that way, get you connected to a place where you can grow. Um, so with that being said, um, you know, we had a, our digital liturgy all ready to go for this morning as we have been for the last, I guess, 13 weeks or so. Um, but given the most recent events that have transpired, it just only felt right to be uh, faithful to our vision as a church. And we're a community that's striving to be faithfully present to God, to ourselves, and to each other. And so in being faithfully present, it, it only felt right to just press pause and save what we have already prepared for, a different, for another day, for a different day. Um, and to speak directly to what we're looking at as a city and as a nation, as a whole. Uh, today, I am certain that I am not going to say everything right or as well, it can be, as well as things can be articulated. But what I can do is try to, try to speak in whatever way I can to, to bring the word of God to bear on our present circumstance as a community of people who are following Jesus called redemption. <clears throat> so, Romans chapter 12, verse 15, Paul's instructing the early Christians in roughly AD 50, where they are suffering severe persecution for their faith in Jesus. And he admonishes the church to weep with those who are weeping, to rejoice with those who are rejoicing. Today in our city and across our nation, there are tears pouring. And it is the Christian response. It is the spirit-led response to look at suffering, injustice, pain, racism, and weep with those who are weeping. This is not an option. This is a commandment from our apostle for us to be relationally and emotionally engaged in the world in such a way that when we see suffering of other human beings, 
our hearts move toward them in great compassion. What we've seen transpire over the last several months and weeks and days is horrific. And it's not new or unique to our nation. This has been going on for 400 years. And so for a church, for Christians to remain silent about blatant injustice, not only would that prove our irrelevancy to the world, but it would actually be complicit in the violence that so many are suffering beneath. As was chanted throughout our city all day in cities all over the nation, white silence is white violence. Our congregation here in Seattle is predominantly Caucasian, though not entirely. And so for us as a church community, our responsibility is to speak up and speak out, but not to do all the talking, but to do a lot of listening, a lot of thinking, a lot of changing, and a lot of repenting. Brianna Taylor was shot in her apartment. They were at the wrong place. Ahmaud Arbery was on a jog in Brunswick, Georgia. George Floyd was choked to death in the street. And the names go on and on and on. And a gospel that does not speak to and practice and seek justice on behalf of those who are brutalized and marginalized is no gospel whatsoever in a time like this. A gospel that merely is a private, individualized, personal relationship only between the individual and God that someone does in their head only. That is not the gospel. The gospel has practical, tangible, gritty, horizontal implications, relational implications on how we live as citizens of God's kingdom in our city of Seattle today. There are over 42 Psalms of Lament in the book of Psalms, 42. In addition, we have all other kinds of grieving found throughout scripture. Even a book is entitled Lamentations from the As the deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night. 
while they say to me all day long, where's your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude-keeping festival. Why are you cast down on my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall yet again praise him, my salvation in my God. My soul is cast down within me. Therefore, I remember you from the land of Jordan and of Hermon, from Mount Mazar. Deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls. All your breakers and waves have gone over me. By day, the Lord commands his steadfast love, and at night, his song is with me. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taunt me, while they say to me all day long, where is your God? Why are you cast down on my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall yet again praise him. My salvation and my God. Vindicate me, O God, and defend my cause against an ungodly people. From the deceitful and unjust man, deliver me. For you are the God in whom I take refuge. Why have you rejected me? Why do I go about mourning? Because of the oppression of the enemy. Send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy hill and to your dwelling. Then I will go to the altar of God, to God my exceeding joy, and I will praise you with the lyre, O oh my God. Why are you cast down on my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise my salvation and my God. So we have the psalm of lament where the sons of Korah are crying out and they're speaking to their soul. Why are you in turmoil? They're present to themselves in that moment. Why am I in turmoil? What's going on within me? They identify the pain and then the psalmist speaks to his own soul and reminds his soul, I'm going to hope in God. I'm going to, I'm going to lift my eyes further than what I see in the here and now. By faith, I'm going to walk. And so I love the Psalms of Lament because they give us a place to grieve and to express our emotions unashamed before God. That we can acknowledge where we are as a people. So I wanted to read to you from one of Jesus' most famous parables because it's absolutely applicable to where we are today. Luke chapter 10. A lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, What's written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You've answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, A man was going from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers, who stripped him and beat him and departed, 
leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. And the next day, he took two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I'll repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? And he said, The one who showed him mercy. Jesus said to him, You go and do likewise. This, this is a, a passage that is wildly famous. Almost everyone in the world has heard this at some point along the way. And so the, the question becomes a question of, of justification and who's my neighbor? How do I inherit eternal life? Jesus says, well, what's the law say? And the Samaritan answered correctly, but was still bothered in his conscience. Who is my neighbor? Who do I have to care about? Who should I worry about? Who needs to become a priority to me? Who is my neighbor? And so as Jesus tells the parable, he says a man was traveling from from Jerusalem to Jericho. You know, that's where most of the priests live down in Jericho. This man falls among robbers. There's a narrow path. It's 17 miles. And and this was a place where uh, people would hide out and attack people, rob them. Just like in this scenario, this was a very common thing to happen. The man is stripped naked, left half dead in the gutter. And in his weeping, bleeding sorrow, he looks up and he sees none other than a priest. (laughs) I don't know what went through that guy's mind, this man's mind, but... Probably something like, oh, a priest. He knows that God instructs us to love each other and to take care of one another and to be compassionate. I'm sure he'll stop. He's a priest. This is the one thing he should be all about. He knows what it's like to go into the Holy of Holies and slaughter lambs and see blood shed and atonement provided and reconciliation between God and man. Certainly this guy knows what to do. And it says the priest saw him. And found the nearest crosswalk. And just left him there. Because he was, I don't know, maybe he had somewhere else to be. Maybe he had another uh, sermon to prepare. Maybe he had some, something, some, something pressing that demanded more attention than this bleeding inconvenience. So he walks by, remains unmoved, completely without compassion, apathetic, and indifferent. The Levite straightens his shirt and carries on, unwilling to give an hour of his day. But then, There's this Samaritan 
Which when Jesus was telling this in this context, this, this would have utterly shocked a Jewish audience. Say, but then there's this Samaritan. A good Samaritan is like saying, like a, a peaceful terrorist. It's that the, the, they just don't exist. That's what it sounded like. A good Samaritan? No, no, no. Those people are bad. Those people aren't like us. Those people don't worship the way we do. They don't look like we do. They're not like us. There are no, there's no such thing as a good Samaritan out there. And Jesus says that when the Samaritan saw him, he saw him and he had compassion meaning his gut was wrenched, his heart was broken, he moved toward him, he felt something. He did not see a mere inconvenience. He did not see some project to be managed. He saw an image bearer of God and he had compassion. Brennan Manning says something to the effect of uh, compassion is born when we learn where the outcast weeps. Do you see people weeping in your city today? Because it's everywhere. And so it says that he not only felt something for him, he felt pity, he felt compassion, he felt brokenness, he felt heartache for him. He, did, he didn't just feel these things though, it says he did something because compassion Works. Compassion has something to do. Compassion is not just a mere feeling. God have mercy on a church who merely will acknowledge people being brutalized and have a feeling of, oh, that's too bad. I hope that doesn't happen to me. That's not biblical compassion. Compassion Looks like what Jesus said. He went to him. He went to him. He went to him. And he bound up his wounds. He got his hands dirty. He wasn't afraid of the blood and the pus and the grossness of death. He went to him and he bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. He binds him up. Because compassion looks like gauze and band-aids and phone calls and checking in. Compassion looks like having meals and spending time together. And he sent him on his own animal. So he gave up his own travel. He puts him on his own animal, brought him to an inn and took care of him. When Jesus talks about compassion, he's talking about taking care of people. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper saying, take care of him, whatever more you spend, I'll pay you back. Which of these proved to be a neighbor who fell among the robbers? The one who showed him mercy. Jesus said, you go and do likewise. This is the requirement. This is what the call of God is on men and women here in Seattle today and to the church at large across the nation. To go and do likewise, to identify our neighbor, the one that's suffering, and to not hide. 
but rather repent. There is a difference between white guilt and white repentance. And the gospel does not call us to mere white guilt for those of us who are Caucasian, but rather repentance, meaning this. You say, well, I've never persecuted a, a black man, a black woman, another person of color. I've never persecuted anybody. How can I repent? What do I need to think about, change, do differently? Where, where can I confess? Part of it has to do with we can, we can repent of our apathy. We can repent of our indifference. We can repent of the fact that our white privilege has uh, afforded us to slink off into a corner. We can repent of the fact that we've been unwilling to listen. We can repent. And that's where good news shows up. Because even as we talked about in church last week, repentance is not merely having a feeling of guilt or a feeling of shame. Repentance is literally teshuva in the Hebrew. I'm going to go back to my father's house. I'm going to go back and be reconciled with my father. And I'm going to have his heart for his people and his world. That's what repentance is going to look like. So it is a time for us to speak up and speak out. It is also a time for us to put our money where our mouth is. It's also a time for us to close our mouths as well in some ways and to listen and to listen, to learn, to hear the stories, to enter into the suffering and say, oh my gosh, how can we serve? How can we change? What can we do better? You see, this is important to talk about in the church because as long as we're waiting on a law and legislation to say, treat these people differently, as long as we're waiting on a law, a law will never change the human heart. A law does not have that kind of power, but the Holy Spirit does. The Holy Spirit is the one that regenerates. The Holy Spirit is the one that empowers and equips and directs and guides and strengthens us. This is why this has to have uh, happen as a conversation in the church. Heck, if you open just the very first page of your Bible, what do we find is men and women made in the image and likeness of God. It's not hard to find a reason why we need to be having this conversation in the church. Is there ever a time to be silent? Is there anybody in the Bible that was silent? <laughs> that when it was redemptive? Yeah, one. One. Jesus himself. Jesus went silent before Pilate and his accusers, but not because he hadn't already had much to say or much to say after his resurrection. Jesus, in his silence, intentionally suffered the injustice, but it was not without purpose. In Jesus, his own suffering, he was bringing about redemption of humankind. 
And when he rose from the grave, he had much to say that bears implications on us here and now. I'm grateful for a weeping Jesus who can identify in this moment with, with us. I want to remind you of one thing from the book of Revelation as I close. comes from Revelation 21. It says this, John's vision. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death will be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who is seated on the throne said, Behold, I'm making all things new. That's what we're looking forward to. And so even in the middle of our own broken city and cities around the country right now, we are longing and looking forward to the heavenly city. And so in, in spite of, in, in the midst of all of the chaos, we by faith place our eyes on Jesus and long and look for that city. And until he brings his city to our city, we're going to labor in our city as though it is his city. Thank you so much for listening. I love you. I'll see you soon. Thanks again for joining us. If you want more information about our church or would like to come visit us on a Sunday, go to redemptionseattle.com.